0: Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they've persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community
1: apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now, let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you all for joining another entry on the CISO Diaries podcast. We're really, really excited to be here with today with our guest, Shafali Mukincheri. She's the CISO and System Director of Information Security at Edward Elmer's Health Hospital, and she's an expert in healthcare technology as well as has quite a bit of experience and background in compliance, which is essential. Shafali, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So I will say one thank you for your service being in healthcare. We all know from you know last year in the pandemic that anybody who was in healthcare, whether it was on the IT cyber side or other, it was it was a tough and challenging year. And I just want to you know again thank you further because being within cybersecurity and overseeing that within Healthcare, I think we all know, right? There is a um, moral responsibility, is, I'd say, higher in, in your job compared to some other CISOs in other sectors in healthcare, because truly any sort of a breach or anything can mean a life and death situation. So, what a, you know, hoping that you can share some things with our audience to help others who are you know, in in your same role, or maybe considering going into that and encouraging more people to get into uh, cyber and healthcare, you know, but just to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, we've seen, obviously, a lot of increase of attacks in the last year, and they're not stopping anytime soon, you know, there's uh, specifically been, you know, recently there were hackers that posted hospital patients' data online. The cyber criminals are after hospitals and all time high because of the sensitive data. They can get money. Um, system had released a fact sheet with steps to take um, for organizations to prevent ransomware attacks. They are giving more guidance now to healthcare as well. There's been recent recent incidents that it has literally resulted in deaths right there's a hospital in germany and then within the us a baby died because of cyber attacks so with that being said you know you are in a very important role and i don't know about you but lately also being in cybersecurity i would say i'm up at night a lot more <laughs> than i was before and and concerned more than ever it you know I saw this post on LinkedIn not that long ago this week and the the person who posted it said back when I was a fearless CISO, I always said to management I sleep like a baby every night I wake up every two hours screaming I think this statement is more true than ever Godspeed to all in cybersecurity. So Shafali, that being said, you know how are you feeling these days with everything and and in your position and you know if you're losing. <laughs> Sleep at night or feeling, you know, more anxious than usual, like the rest of us in cyber. What are you doing to combat that? But then also apply it to improving and, you know, really helping others on your team and, and even broader, especially in the healthcare sector. I think it's so important to understand.
2: Sure. So yes, you know, cybersecurity is something that I take very seriously because being in healthcare it's not just information technology that I have to think about. My number one concern is patient safety. Because if the systems aren't there to provide the information that is necessary for patient care, for communication, just even as to employees, then we are at risk, right? So, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Leah, that we saw a woman die in germany we recently heard of the baby death in a alabama hospital um and when i look into what happened um that keeps me up at night right to say wow do we have all of our systems secured do we have everyone that i need to be on the team collaborating together you know, we don't want to work in silos anymore because cybersecurity is not just about me and my position or someone in as a IT security analyst. It's everyone. It's an everyday concern, right? It's just not something that IT does all the time sitting in a corner somewhere. It's on the mind of everyone, and it should be on the mind of everyone within a healthcare organization. So with that said, I would, I would like to reiterate that You know, cybersecurity is a challenge. We're going to continue to see an increase in attacks. So what can I do in my role as a CISO? You know, part of what I like to do is talk to everyone and anyone that I can within the organization about security. What do they think it is? What do they think it's not? Do they think it's just a password? It's a login, but it's so much more than just that. And, you know, when I talk to each of the employees, the users, it helps me understand, you know, what keeps them up at night too. You know, I talk to the board level, the executive leadership, the senior leadership, all the way down through to the users and trying to understand the whole hierarchy of what cybersecurity is. You know, we know it from a technical perspective within our own IT security department, but the impact that that department has on the functions and operations of everyone else, whether they're a customer of healthcare, a patient, an employee, or just someone who is, has somebody, a loved one sitting in a hospital bed, right? So depending on our role, we look at cybersecurity very differently. And so when I think of the landscape of cybersecurity, what does that look like? So for me, I am up very early in the morning and I comb through much of social media, many of the health um, care IT uh, magazines online, uh, online resources, listservs, different channels, uh, subscribe to a lot of them. So I'll spend a good two hours every morning combing through anything and everything I can get my hands on. This helps me sleep a little bit better at night, knowing that. Every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to look for things. I'm going to try to see what's the latest gadget out there for IT security. What's happening to other organizations within the U.S. and globally? You know, we do think of cybersecurity as, you know, we're located within um, the U.S., but I also have to understand what's coming in to other countries. You know, we look at geolocation. You know, what does that look like? How many countries are trying to connect to my hospitals or health, Edward Elmhurst Health Systems Network? And, you know, we have millions, millions of connections that are coming through. So making sure that those connections are secure and that we're blocking accordingly. So, again, more informed I am, the more useful I am to my organization. You and know that
0: was perfectly said. I'm glad that people are going to be able to hear this because I don't think I could have said it better myself.
1: You know, Shafali, you said something that kind of struck a note with me, and it reminded me of an older article. Actually, <clears throat> when you were uh, previously at your, uh, uh, when you were the principal advisor over at um, what was it, Impact Advisors, there was an interview that you were in, and that communication piece, right, talking to the team, talking to your end customers, which is basically the entire company right, on the importance of understanding security. There was a point made, which I thought was perfect. Um, And and anyone that wants to know what I'm referencing, it's about how to build a balanced healthcare cybersecurity budget. What caught me was getting the departments to co-fund or put in dollar amounts in that cybersecurity budget, which goes back to the communication, right? As you're talking to them, they now have skin in the game because now they fully understand that, holy smokes, part of my IT budget went to securing my group that, you know, we had to make investments in. So I think communication is a huge component of it, but getting that value, that understanding that they've got skin in the game in the mix, that they aren't working in some kind of vacuum promotes good hygiene overall or a good security hygiene overall.
2: Yeah, that's a great point Um, because, you know, one of the things that, I would like more leadership to look at is what percent of your IT budget is IT security? If we feel that we as senior leadership or executive leadership or even at the board feel that we can't sleep at night because of cybersecurity, well, what percentage of your IT budget is IT security? Sometimes it's the tools, sometimes it's the people you invest in to help you m- scan, monitor, right? So going back to your point, Thea, it's it's definitely a challenge uh, when you look at a cybersecurity budget.
1: Oh yeah. I mean there's no two ways about it, right? Because I think in from the world of IT, there's I think we're all as humans fall. I'm not gonna make fun of IT, although I enjoy it immensely. Um and don't worry, guys, I still love you. Because you came from there. Because <laughs> I came from there. So <laughs> I've got a lot of scars from it, but but it's this we like our gadgets and the latest and greatest tools out there. Right. And we're thinking, Hey, if we're buying the latest tool on this, it's going to solve X problem. And the reality is, is no, not necessarily. Right. You might have, um, there's this, uh, click, uh, clickbait article and yes, I am. I will click on clickbait. So I'm your worst (laughs) nightmare, everyone. Um, I'll bring you the virus to you. Um, but what I'm about to say is, uh, you can't just apply technology because it sounds cool or it looks cool at that point in time if it doesn't fit in your proper environment and overall manageability of it and it integrates with your environment i just see a lot of money wasted in cybersecurity and it in general and in life in general but do you feel at times shafale with your teams and when you're working with your you know fellow department heads that you have to say, hey, guys, that's a great tool you're buying, but there's some ramifications for it. Do you find yourself kind of having to dance that fine line between gatekeeper and, you know, you know, supporting them in whatever business initiative needs to get solved?
2: Absolutely. So, you know, this is one of the challenges with, you know, you could take a hard line with cybersecurity and say, nope, you can't get that gadget or that solution because it's going to be a high risk. Or you could be the person that says, "Well, let's look at it. Let's talk about it. Let's understand what the risks present by implementing such a solution." So, one of the first things that um, you know I look to do uh, within Edward Elmer's Health is any time that we look to purchase a application, as an example, we have some very good uh, operational processes and workflows put in place. Where um, things follow in sequence of approvals. Um, as part of that approval level, there is what we call the vendor security risk assessment, and the vendor security risk assessment process. And I'll say it then. This is where you know cybersecurity does get get um, uh, a bad rap sometimes, is because we take too long on you know vendor security risk assessment. Why is it taking so long? I need to implement this application. We've only got two months left. But if we don't do the due diligence, you know, I have run into some vendors where we find that, you know, in the contract, it says, hey, it's Edward Elmer's health responsibility to establish and maintain cybersecurity practices and safeguards. But yet, we will have that same vendor saying, hey, you know what? We don't want to use your remote access tools. We want you to use ours. But if I let that vendor, you know, say, yeah, if I say yes to that vendor, then I use all, you know, I lose because I can't see who's accessing. Um, I can't see the audit logs if I wanted to, right? So I lose security um, protocols, and I can't make any headway as to what that vendor's really doing. Then, so you sometimes have to find a balance between where you're at odds with a vendor. And many times they go back to governance. Governance is something that folks are just like, well, yeah, you got that committee. They talk about things and take minutes. They have agendas. But realistically, governance is set in place because when you have challenges like this, where you're at odds, whether you're delaying the security risk assessment process because there is, you know, There's notions of high risk, but yet you're getting pressurized uh, by a department saying we got to implement this because of patient safety. What do you do? Right. So basically what you have to do, is you have to have governance. You have to have the ability to go upward to a committee that has various members from different departments and leadership sitting there that are willing to accept the risk. Risk acceptance. Is something that many organizations don't talk a lot about. They, you know, they will pressure the cybersecurity leader into just go get it, just go get it, you know, we'll look the other way. Or, you know, don't worry about the high risk, you know, we'll ask in six months. Who has time to follow up with a vendor in six months unless it's the person that, you know, it's their job? And again, many cybersecurity departments. IT security departments, they run lean nowadays. Um, so, based on how you collaborate with the person who's purchasing, educating them to say, hey, you know what? This is what the security risk assessment revealed. You have, you know, 10 high risk items here um, that are unacceptable. But if we were to work together and say, um, seven of these, we want addressed by the vendor by X time frame, and really work with the vendor to say, can you do this? If the vendor says no, then, you know, you have to work again with your governance structure, accept the risk and put a process in place. But that's not the only answer. The other answer is I could just say, no, nope, can't work with that vendor. And I have done that in the past where certain vendors have, you know, they might be smaller They don't have someone who's really looking at auditing security on their end. They're not looking at how they're creating access. There's no one in charge of security. And so some of the basics that you would think a vendor would have in place, when we find out that they don't, I ask the, what we call system owners, go find another vendor. And so, but it's not a decision I make myself to say no. I take it up to the governance structures that are in place and say, here is what's being asked. It's for patient safety. It's for patient care. But yet we don't have the security controls in place. And we couldn't even find any compensating security controls either to put on. So now we have a vendor that does not have a security program, does not have a leader in security. So what do we want to do as an organization? So then I will seek collaboration. I never want to be in a position where I make a decision myself because then it doesn't help anyone else understand why it was a no.
0: You know, I'm really glad you went there on this conversation because, you know, when we have talked to others about leadership, you know, there's a lot of the that's raw, raw, raw and really, you know boost it for CISOs and make them look great. It's like, yeah, that's nice. But let's also help others understand the challenges because I think it's two sides, right? The CISOs who have very, very tough jobs. And in, in your case, you know, what you described before is being in healthcare, it's patient safety, right? It is the truly the cost of a patient life. That is a challenging leadership position to be in and it takes a good leader to recognize what to do to you know prevent as much as possible possible and keep you know them safe right um so i like that you provided that explanation so hopefully others can have some insight into you know what you know someone like you and your role faces and has to decide every day and and why it might be a no um, but, you know, it's something to go back on when you mentioned a lot of the conversations that you have across um, the entire organization, even down to the, the users in, in the hospital and your environment, you know, for security awareness. And, um, it, you know, there are definitely those organizations, the, Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, right? That they're trying to do a better job on sharing information between private sector and healthcare and critical infrastructure. Um, World Health Organization, their CISO, Flavio Agio. I know he's doing a lot more half-day sessions we did with him, one with him earlier this year, where we brought in both you know, the CISOs of healthcare organizations, some nurses, um, and then the private sector. And it, it was almost eye-opening to hear what they were exchanging with each other in the first time, some of them getting, you know, the other perspective from one another to hopefully help make it a more fruitful partnership going forward. But when you look at it being able to get, disseminate information out and help educate others to really understand Beyond even in healthcare, are there things that you recommend or that you do, or affiliates that you're part of to, you know, continue this even outside of your day job, if you will? Um, curious, you know, other ways to get the information and and just emphasizing the importance of it, right? That for all of us,
2: absolutely. So I am, as you get to know me, uh, very big on thought leadership, and that means. Many different approaches, right? So it is a matter of um, getting interviewed. It's a matter of writing articles, blogs. Um, I I do a lot of those, uh, have done a lot of those in the past uh, in different roles. But I think the the sharing channels that we have are very important um, to, first of all, have a network, right, of cybersecurity folks where you can go. Together and say, hey, you know, I'm doing things this way, or hey, I'm doing things that way. But why are you doing it that way? What you have in place? And um, I think the challenge, though, is um, because of you know, COVID, we are many of us are remote, and the conferences that we used to go to, the big ones, they're slowly starting to come back, and so it's nice to be able to see face people face to face, um, but as well, you know, remotely online. Um, the content that you write in a blog or an article, it has to make sense to a certain audience, right? So having the ability to communicate in a blog, you know, five to 800 words, you know, in a blog, say as an example, how do I get my point across? Because I'm limited by the number of words that, you know, one online magazine may say that I have. So I have to be very choosy in how I'm packaging my message uh, to other folks in cybersecurity. And so it might be a focus on a specific topic. It might be on a specific tool that has just come out. Um, Artificial intelligence is always a hot one uh, where, you know, we have lots of pros and cons. And so I think it's just making sure whatever you communicate it's credible that people know it's coming from a source uh an experience and I always try to preface like where I do get my information or if it's coming from my experience I think the credibility of what I say when I say it and how it's being communicated affects how people receive me
1: girl can I just tell you something real quick Shafali? Have you heard of podcasts? You don't have to do a lot of writing. You could just start spouting out and heaven knows how eloquent you are. There's an audience for it.
0: <laughs> Great awareness yeah. uh, platform for sure.
1: No, no. Yeah. But Shafali, I have noticed you are quite the writer. Um, you know, you know, I always say to all of our guests, I will duck duck go Google. I will like research you. I'll go down genealogy. I won't go down your genealogy, don't worry but with the name of <laughs> Mook Chair, Cherry, it's very unique. Um, no, but you are, you are a freelance writer, uh, for Spell. Has it always been your passion?
2: So it has been, um, I have been writing for a very long time and, you know, outside of my full-time job as a CISO, um, I do a lot of community work. So for example, um, uh, you know, a security is my love, you know, it is, what I do, but I also have other passions, other areas of knowledge that um, I try to share with other folks as well. So, um, you know, in talking about what I do, uh, I have also created like 16 different online courses that deal with public health billing and coding, which are offered through the University of Illinois at Chicago for free for folks who want to learn about public health billing and coding. Um, So I try to give back to the community as much as possible. But I just, you know, writing is something that comes to me easy. um, But at the same time, I'm very aware where it can go. You know, I might write it one way, one for one online source, but someone else might take it and grab it and put it in some other source. So I'm very careful in how I will say something.
1: It's almost like. You have to be intentional with the words that you speak because it could be twisted on you and it can be turned and used against you. Gee, Leah, you would think you and I would have practiced something like that better, huh?
0: (laughs) I know, but, you know, (laughs) I and I saw that in your background too, the work that you do at university level and and teaching others. You know, one big question I have, I'd love that you get your perspective on is, you know, I work with a lot of in my organization we work with a lot of mentees right we're trying to get them into cyber and, and it's challenging there are, there are a lot of hurdles at organizations who aren't taking in those who are entry level and or career pivoters, and um, we're trying to change that but that being said when you look at the need in healthcare um, and you know not always having the budgets in place for staff uh, we had one I was working with, she actually had a nursing background. And then she went and got all her certificates and still couldn't get in. And I thought, wow, if only I could actually place her within a cyber role within a hospital, she at least has all the knowledge, right, from from the sector. Um, So curious to understand, you know, any thoughts or ideas you have on how can we make this easier to get more folks in who don't have the 15 years of experience, who don't even come from the IT or cyber background, but they have the passion, the motivation, the the wherewithal, determination. They're self teaching themselves. How can we make it more? Um, how can we improve it for them? And it, it, by way of doing that, also hopefully improve it for the teams within healthcare. Any you know thing that you've done there? or Perspective. Yeah,
2: absolutely, share? absolutely. So. <laughs> Outside of my uh, CISO uh, position, I am also an adjunct professor at Benedictine University out in Lyon, Illinois. And so uh, I've been teaching there for like 20 plus years. And it evolved into a course from HIPAA to everything on the business side of healthcare. And part of that is where I teach to graduate students about information security and about HIPAA, and everything healthcare. So one of the missed opportunities that organizations have is recruiting directly from a university or a college. If you know of students that can come out with high recommendations and have good GPAs, I don't say great GPAs, because I say good GPA because I know we have a cybersecurity shortage Uh, for staff uh, everywhere in the country and maybe even globally. So you have to think of unique ways of recruiting and universities are, there's a whole talent of people there that you can rely on because they're, they're being taught academically. But how many of us have been in cybersecurity and know every single application, every single IT security tool that's out there, to a T where it's configured and maintained and supported. No, it's impossible. Likewise, if you see a person with 15 plus or 10 plus credentials for security, you have to look at something more than just that. You know, academically, they come with a knowledge, but can they fit within your organization? Will they get along with everyone that they need to? So, when I look for recruitment, I know already technically how savvy they are because they will list out all their tools that they've used. Now, here is where I look for more, where during the interview process is, how are you talking to me? Are you acknowledging the fact that we're talking about patient care and patient safety? Again, relating it back to healthcare, Right. Um, not talking to me as if we're manufacturing a widget or a car, as for example, right? So I'm looking for that empathy in that person, because if they come in with cybersecurity experience, and not to say that you can't have a job in healthcare without actually having been in healthcare, you can come from a banking industry or airline industry and still have cybersecurity experience, but. If you're not able to project empathy in a healthcare environment, um, it may not make much sense except for, you know, yourself being a cog in the, the IT uh, security department. Um, I look for more in my recruits. You know, I look for that ability to translate, yeah, you know what, I'm securing this, securing this system because it's going to affect the ultrasound machine over there. and I. You know, cardiac patients need to have their ultrasound. We need to know what's wrong with the patient. Trying to correlate it that way. It makes more sense.
1: So, okay, so I'm, you're intriguing me here because I think the university <laughs> system, I think, has a, a proper track, if you will, right? It's You've got college grads that go through the programs. What about those that are, like, changing careers? Like that nurse that Leah was mentioning, like, wouldn't that candidate have been more attractive because they come with a healthcare background, yeah, they might be a little bit light, but they've got a certain amount of good certs. Would that be attractive for you? Or do you feel that, no, you really need to get, you know, the education down before getting in? Because I guess I'm hearing back and forth between different leadership, what they expect.
2: So it depends on the role that you're hiring for. You know, if I'm hiring for a uh, information security engineer, then i need someone with that technical background cuz it's an engineer. But if i'm hiring someone for say provisioning and deprovisioning, you know, user access, right? I may not need that technical person because this person's going to have to come in and learn the application tool we use anyway. But if they come from healthcare, like that nurse, i may be able to train that person saying, "Hey, you know how to talk to other clinicians." You know what it felt like to have access because you yourself came with that background you've used systems before and you know the challenges uh, trying to give people access or even getting access so it depends on the role really and but a nurse with information security that would be amazing. It's like a because, unicorn
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. the unicorn doesn't exist. I think, yeah, the point is we can train and upskill people. And we have to do that anyways, right? I know, Shivali, you've been pretty incremental in, in messaging and educating on cloud and cloud security. Cloud was noise around. You learned it. I learned it. It can be learned. And so it's it's having the people with appetite that we can teach that can be, you know, quick studies, if you will, and then turning them into, you know, the person that they need to be as technology advances. We're always going to have to be learning.
2: Learning is something that we can never stop. You know, that is one yeah. of my passions. Um it's part of my DNA, I'll say.
0: You could tell and, and you know, thank you. I guess I'll say that for you doing that and for the side work as well on, um, you know, at the university, it's very important.
1: I have a question. <laughs> Okay, so I I've I actually posted this on my LinkedIn out of frustration the other day cuz cuz I although I am not technically in the world of cybersecurity I'm like the biggest groupie ever for it and obviously I used to be in security back in the day but I don't understand and you help me understand this. Um I see job descriptions and I even because of my security background I I still get it on LinkedIn of like oh look check out these jobs that might interest you. Entry level jobs that require 3 to 5 years experience. And certain certifications and all this stuff. I feel like HR whomever is writing these job descriptions are doing cybersecurity a massive disservice because I feel like there are individuals who will not apply because they're like, oh, I don't have five years experience for an entry level job. Where is that fault happening? Is this an HR issue where they're just like, oh, we're going to go for the golden unicorn and see what we can get for the cheapest? Or is it, are we not writing our jobs correctly? And HR is just simply copy and pasting.
2: So I will say this, like in my experience, when um, I look at a job description, um, I have to believe in it. And so if I'm recruiting for someone in that job description, I can go from one extreme to the other. You know, the dollar amounts, I don't even look at. But I will say, when I need someone within IT security, depending on the role, what do I need them to do? If I need someone to be a manager of IT operations within the security department, dealing with security operations, I'm going to need someone technical. I'm going to need someone who has the experience. And again, going back to where you know entry level in security uh, I'll just say, I recently just hired a person right out of college, junior experience, um, for a full blown information security analyst position. Uh, this is someone who's worked only three months in their entire life. But thank I you. will say,
0: by the way, I just had to jump in and say that for having that mindset and for doing that. I don't know, you might get a lot of people reaching out to you after this wanting to try to come to your team. But thank you is so, all so- I can say.
2: Well, so this is the thing is going back to the zest of learning, right? Being able to come into an organization and say, yes, I want to do good work. That makes a difference to me because, again, in IT security, the credentials we all have are great for academically taking those exams, you know, and maybe we take some things out of those exams and we apply it to our job. But for entry-level positions uh, within IT security, you know, whether you have a credential or not, it's irrelevant to me. Again, I'm talking entry-level. So, But if you can show me that you want to learn, and, you know, one of the questions I will ask is, where do you see yourself in three years, five years? Do you still want to be in security? Do you want to move from the entry-level position into something a little bit more in-depth and technical? Or do you want to go into management? Where do you see your track? Now, sometimes folks want to ask a recruit that. They'll be just like, here, I've got this job description. Read it. Can you do you qualify? Here's, you know, where I see you measure up. And no, yes or no. But the way you have to look at recruitment nowadays is, um, you know, who will fit within your organization? Are they going to be able to work with everyone else that's within the organization? And Again, I take this back to healthcare. We're in healthcare organization, so I have to have this person collaborating and working on projects, working within the IT department or IT security department um, together with people. Not saying I've got my horse blinders on. I cannot help you unless you go put in that service now ticket. You know, I need someone to say, "Okay, I understand your situation. Here, let me help you put this ticket in." Here's what we need to do and be, you know, someone who helps guide and promotes collaboration. Um, I just don't think that, um, you know, entry-level positions, you can make exceptions, especially when we have a shortage uh, of cybersecurity professionals. And I look to people who have credentials. You know, it's a typical HR function. Oh, they've got the credentials, check back right? But I also look at people, you know, I'm combing through LinkedIn all the time to see, okay, who's got this type of experience? Have they been a pen tester? Do, uh, do they have any kind of ethical hacking experience? Do they have any kind of user access or provisioning experience? So sometimes it comes down to experience, fit, besides the academic knowledge and the skill sets that they have acquired from previous positions i look at it like a whole picture think of it as a smiley face you know and you look at the two eyes and the two eyes when you're looking at that person's face what are you really seeing in those eyes is it someone you can work with then i'll move down to the nose. can you sniff out where the bs is can you really see what they're coming to you with if they say they know security and they're looking for a technical position, they can't answer your questions, you, you will see it. You'll know it. Now, when we talk about the, the lips, I always think of it as a smiley face, only because does this person have the ability to learn? When you're learning, most of the time, either you'll like it or you hate it. <laughs> I want to present an environment where you're going to like it and you're going to smile about it.
1: Interesting.
0: I love that. Like you, you're uh, leaving many of us
1: smiling as we wrap up here. <laughs> I know. I've got like a. I got a total visual there. That was really you. That was very good storytelling. It's almost Shafali, as if you write or something like that. So, <laughs> speaking of writing, and I wanted to bring this up because it is the coolest thing ever, and it's something that you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that I find fascinating. So can you tell me a little bit something about Grandpa's Blueberry Adventures?
2: Oh, my gosh, yes. So that is another, I'm a co-author of that book. I actually wrote it with my daughter, uh, Kaya Mukincherry. And this was at the time when she was like 10 and a half years old. Um, You know, we were coming back from Grandma's house for Thanksgiving. And um, she's like, Mom, tell me a story. And I said, well, I'm thinking of every Disney princess I could. And she's like, no, I don't want any princess story. Just tell me something else. Well, we had Blueberry Cobbler at Grandma's house. so I'm like, oh, well. And, you know, we were on our way home. And there's all these trees, you know, and it just reminded me of like a meadow. And so I'm like, well, Grandpa Blueberry decides that he's going to go for a walk after he finishes supper. And I started making this up. And I'm like, you know, first he saw a rabbit. And second, he saw a family of ants. And so then I started making up a number with each equivalent animal. So I quickly realized as we're playing into the driveway that, you know, this would be a great counting, sequencing, recognition, and cognitive type of book. So, of course, I get into the kitchen. I'm writing it all down on a paper towel so I don't forget which order I put all the animals in and the numbers. Um, so I asked my daughter, you know, what do you think of doing a book? And she, she was the one that actually suggested the animals. So I said, well, first Grandpa Blueberry saw, I turned back and look in the back of the car seat and go, who did Grandpa Blueberry see first? She's like, oh, a rabbit. So I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity to, um, publish a book about counting, but most counting books you know you see the numbers only or you see where it's the word you know for like number 1 it's o n e and then you see the numeric value 1 but then it doesn't take you a step further as far as sequence right so we we laid out the book to show when you look at it that papa blueberry goes on his walk and as you turn the page the reader, the child, will see O N E. They'll see the number one, the numeric value, but then the sentence starts with first. Grandpa Blueberry saw. So now cognitively the child can say, O-N-E, I know how to spell it. I recognize the numerical value of one, but sequencing wise it was first.
1: Mm. So then
2: the and you see Second, W L for two and the numeric value of two. And then in the back of the book, we did put together like a little matching kind of um, sheet where you can, you know, for the kid to let the kid know or children know that, hey, can you, if you find number one as O-N-E, what's its numeric value or its sequential value and be able to cross match it. So it was just another another fun
1: project, actually. <laughs> no, I love it, and you know it makes you so I, human. I love and, that too. I, and then all you know, it just but what, what it does though is it leaves me with a good basis and foundation. What you're doing and how it kind of drives you and how you view you know your time you know at Edwards Elmhurst and you know really, Shafali. I just want to say thank you so much for your time. For those that want to get a hold of you, and you will get bombarded now, dear. Just saying, just throwing it out there. <laughs> um, for those that. uh, you know, want to get to know you more, how can they get a hold of you?
2: Um, they can reach out to me. Um and uh there's an email address I can give. Uh that's probably the best way to reach me at uh so that's Shafali dot you can at eehealth dot org.
1: Excellent. And uh is LinkedIn a thing? Do you go there or do you just prefer the email?
2: Uh LinkedIn I'm on there as well. That that works too. because
1: yes. right, well, I don't want to control
0: and you could tell you're an educator at heart. And again, thank you for that story that you and what you shared with us personally and working with your daughter. I think all of that, um, your experiences, the work that you're doing in the industry to help make healthcare safer, patients, people safer, all of us um, truly appreciate the, the work you do. We know you're on the front lines, truly, in, right now. And I know all of us in cyber, whether we're in the healthcare sector or not, can. Um, understand that. And just again, it was uh, really great to have you with us today and just share candidly so that others have a better sense of what you do go through as a leader in in cyber on the front lines in in the healthcare sector. Thank you so much, Shafali. Really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thank you for having me. Excellent. And so, you know what, I think that on that note, I think that wraps up another wonderful diary entry. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the CISO Diaries.